The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right. Uh, welcome, welcome, everyone, to another episode of Geek Vibes Interview brought to you by Geek Vibes Nation. I'm your host, Dom Fisher, and today I have with me an OG in the film game. He's a writer, mm -hmm. a director, and a producer. He's attached to such films as A Nightmare on M Street 2, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Trekkies, Piranha 3DD, Phantoms, Dracula 2000, just to name a few. Here to talk about his new film, My Best Worst Adventure. Please welcome Joel Soissons. Yes, sir. Thank you. Good <laughs> to be you here. Doing, I'm doing all right, especially now. <laughs> um, this, like, before we, you know, we go to like the, the your career, I want to talk about this, this new film, uh, which just released digitally September 1st, everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if, if someone was to look at your catalog, um, this is very different than other films that you've been a part of. Uh, and it's, it's, it's crazy that you, you made this film because I've wanted for a long time, like recently, uh, I've been watching a lot of um, foreign films and I was like, I wish there was a film that is able to tell a story without having to say that much because the story is so universal and then boom, you make this film that does just that. The, there's not a, a ton of dialogue, but the, the feeling and the, and the movements and the connection that you can feel um, tells a story mm -hmm. without having to need, you know, the, if you didn't know uh, people, the, the, the film is, um, is, it, is it, was it filmed in Thailand? It was filmed in Thailand, yes. Okay, and then yeah, the dialogue we do see is, is mainly Thai uh, with a little bit of English, but you don't need to see the dialogue to understand what's going on. So what was that process like when you were writing this to, to shoot it this way? Well, uh, I got to take you on the road with me because you explained everything exactly how I had, had um, wanted it to, 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 to be done and unfold. Uh, I'm going to give a little, little giveaway of how old I am. Uh, <clears throat> the first movie that I, I actually wrote and produced uh, was a film starring Lillian Gish. And for some people that goes way back, uh, she was one of the probably top five, if not the top two or three silent film stars of her day. And um, <clears throat> to go back and watch those silent movies that she, she starred in and, all, and other ones is, it's magical because we lost a little bit when, when talkies came into being. We lost the ability to show ourselves through the visual medium of film and, and not just hear what was going on. And um, dialogue takes so much of that away. So much of the art and the, and the, and the vitality of it is, is, in my opinion, often lost in, in words. And she, she taught me like first up, she was like 98 when, 
I worked with her, but she just taught me the value of the silent image and what a what a gifted actor can convey without those words. And I kept that with me for what, like 40 years that I've been been slogging through this industry, making different films and um, and finally got my chance to almost do it. And the 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 hook into it for me was that the two leading characters, both um, young teenagers, 12 and 13, never speak a word. And that they're, they're both lost souls in their own way. One is a transplant from Los Angeles who just doesn't know the language and, and can't communicate. Um, and the other one is this poor mute local kid who's just lived a hellish life. And they kind of escape together on this adventure. And it, it, for me, it's just transporting and magical and a little scary and kind of funny. And, um, and it allowed me to do all the things I've ever wanted to do in the last four decades that I never got to, which is tell an intimate story about real people in a horrific situation and still making us smile. And, uh, so far, it's been just an amazing experience just watching audiences respond to it. And, and you know, we're 100% on the tomato meter. I've never had a movie that even got to 60%. So um, that alone is just stoking the heck out of me. And um, I just, yeah, I want people to see it because it's the movie I'm, I'm by far, I think, the most proud of that I've ever done in my life. Yeah, and, and I think that another aspect of it is Timing is is very pivotal, right? For for a film, sometimes mm -hmm. you know the you want to drop something before someone drops something similar or uh, whatever the case may be. But this one, without having to be about um, quarantining or about COVID, you get this character who suffered a loss in in, in Jenny, and like you said, she she doesn't want to speak. She's going through all these emotions. She's angry. Um, and I think a lot of people with our situation currently can relate to that and kind of see how she finds her way with this other character, can find some kind of like, you know, can relate. And also like, maybe I've been too hard on myself for this situation. Maybe I can find that light in the tunnel through something I didn't completely expect, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and um, it is about, it is about that. And it's about, um, you know, what COVID has done to us, along with a whole lot of other stuff at the same time, is divided us into these camps where, you know, nobody like crosses the, the border real or imagined between people. And um, um, that happens culturally within our own country, obviously. And it also happens internationally with, with these artificially drawn borders, which you always hear astronauts, the first thing they remark of on when they reach outer space is they look back and realize there's no borders at all. And that's kind of also what this movie's about. It's this, this, this kind of angry, self-obsessed LA kid um, never seen one of those before. Um, and making her realize that this alien planet, so to speak, that she landed on, lands on is 
not full of monsters and weird, weird predatory people. They're people with hearts and minds and gifts, and they're just fascinating, wonderful people that she ultimately finds out that, that they all have good in them. And um, that, so that, that's sort of the underlying message is this sort of bringing together of people and cultures and, and understanding and understanding without words because words can sometimes get in the way of this. Yeah, I, I really like that, that, that opening scene where she's sitting and then, you know, looks over and, you know, she's like, why are you, you know, eating a, eating a bug? And <laughs> it kind of just sets you in this like, okay, so she's kind of this fish out of water situation. So you, it kind of, it really sets the scene in a big way of like what you're getting into. And especially like just a lot of the, uh, it's, it's very shocking when, you know, having to, without giving too much away, go, just end up being put in places where you may feel like you uh, are a part of this culture in a way, but don't know anything about it, don't know the language. So it's, it's crazy how it mes- matches up where she doesn't want to speak, but even if she wanted to, it might not help at all anyway. No, because everybody around her is speaking like the Parents in the Peanuts movie is just blah, 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 yeah. blah and, and it's gibberish for her. Um, so you have to connect on a different level or you don't survive. And, um, and there's also, also several elements of survival in this. I mean, the, this whole backdrop is uh, set against um, the sport of buffalo racing, which is itself a really trippy thing that I discovered that the ties do in, in the rural backwaters of the country where um, kind of the rules are different. And, you know, eight-year-old kids can be riding on top of stampeding buffaloes. And the parents are like, well, I guess, you know, we lose a couple from getting trampled. You know, that's <laughs> that's sports, <laughs> right? Um, but it, it was just insane that that sport is just I'm sorry, I'm, I'm showing my cultural bias, but it's insane. And uh, it was so um, ridiculously nutty that I had to document it before this sport disappears, which I think progress in modern, you know, basketball and, and uh, football and baseball are going to ultimately just wipe it out. But this is a sport that needs to be seen. It's yeah. just too nutty to, to disappear. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, as, as in, in, in America, we steer clear of anything that's bigger than us. And you have this, this young man who's like very small, probably like 60 pounds on this like 800, 900 pound animal that could easily just toss him whenever it wants to. But there's that connection that uh, it makes the movie that much more special because it's something that you don't see very often, um, especially in person. I mean, unless you live on a ranch or a farm, you're not going to see a child and this giant beast just like sleeping on each other and like their best friends. Um, so what, what um, it was that experience you had seeing that? Was that why you chose uh, Thailand as the backdrop for this story? Yeah, it, it actually, I was in Thailand in Bangkok, totally opposite experience, the city and the, this, the crush of people and all the things that aren't in this movie. But um, the producer of that film, who was Thai, is Thai, 
um, wonderful woman uh, named Cheryon Tavorna and uh, was telling me about her own life growing up in like Northern Thailand near the Cambodian border, one of those just little villages, which you would never have, you'd never see it on the tourist map, let's say that. Um, and she's the one that was telling me that this was her experience growing up. It's like, it's like if, if you or me were growing up on a farm and we just had like horses, you know, and we rode horses and nothing, nothing special about that. And we jump them and we race them and we sometimes fall off. Well, they, they, the central animal in their, their, their world is, is the water buffalo. It's how they, they, you know, farm. It's how they, they get things transported. It's, it's their cars, their trucks, their tractors, everything rolled into one. And it's their, their family pet. It's everything to them. So to, to understand the connection of animal and human being in a different context uh, than the one we're familiar with, also just sort of for me reinforces that universal thing that most of us have which is this this magical love of animals and this way that we can communicate with them again silently but but effectively yeah and 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 like you said with the it being so universal you know i recently heard a quote that like plays through my head all the time when i'm watching a film when i'm reviewing a film and it's like stories that are um, so specific that they're you know they become universal and that's what this film does I mean it's 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 a it didn't seem initially like it was like supposed to be a family film but that's what it is you know it's you know with there being um, all the context being silent uh, and personal it makes it to where um, children can easily understand what's going on um, because they you know the, of course they understand more things than we give them credit for sure. because they watch and listen to everything. Um, but I think it's something that they can really latch onto with, along with the, especially nowadays, you know, she's trying to journal and you have this, you know, being that she's sees uh, as, as a representation that kind of follows her. And then the adventure of being kind of lost, but being okay, being lost. It's, there's a lot, it's, a, it's really good, man. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's it's trying to work on a lot of levels. And one of the things that personally has always bothered me about family films is that they're a lot of them are really good for kids, but the parents have to suffer through them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because okay, kid wants to watch this again for the fourth time, and oh man. I love Little Mermaids as much as anyone, but come on, this, this is killing me. Um, and this one, I really think is it it falls under that kind of umbrella of family film, good for children. But I I wanted to write and direct something that I would watch, even without children. You know, right. just like sit down and have a good good time for an evening's entertainment. So. That's that's another thing that I'm kind of proud of about this thing is that it it doesn't just stick and settle in that that basket, you know, a family film. Yeah, I mean, it, I feel like this is one of those films that could help reshape kind of what a family film is supposed to be. It doesn't have to be super lighthearted, campy type of thing where there's all kind of silly stuff going on because our life is, you know, has more substance than just 
this willy-nilly thing that goes on. And you're so, right, kids kids are aware of that. And they they cop onto it in in subtle ways that they probably don't necessarily indicate all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my stepson has definitely said some things. I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching um, you, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to, to change gears just a little bit, you mm -hmm. have a very um, long career. And when I'm looking at all these titles, um, I was looking at your IMDb page. And it's, it's crazy to see what you're attached to, the things that are like these big cult classics, things that people want remade um, all the time. Is there like... Did you know, I mean, I know you didn't know exactly when you were making them, but how far uh, into the future did you know, like, I made something that's going to last forever, become this, these big cult classics? You know, that's, that's a great question, because um, looking back, it's kind of obvious which ones we're going to live and which ones we're going to fade away. Um, and you do get a kind of a, an inkling. You, there, there's this sense, you know, probably midway through the shoot that there's some kind of alchemy going on there that's going to result in something that's that will be lasting. Um, and I certainly felt that on a lot of the ones that did. A couple times on a couple that didn't. And um, I can ascribe that either to my bad judgment, which I certainly can own up to, <laughs> but often also films are creatures of a time and a place and um you know for instance and, and and luck bill and ted's excellent adventure for example is one um that uh almost didn't happen even after we made it because the 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 executives who uh we made it for about as old as i am now watched the movie, which was totally about a youth experience, right? And a very specific youth experience of, you know, of that particular uh, moment. And I, I, I was part of that, that culture at the time. <laughs> and, um, um, but they hated it. They absolutely loathed the movie and, and refused to even put it out. So they just basically fobbed it off onto some little tiny independent company that like would, you know, wow, here's a movie. Let's let's like see what we can do with it. And they actually put it in front of a real audience. Just gambled a little bit of pocket change to see what a, a real audience would say, not a bunch of dour executives going, you know, right. um, what have we done here? It tested through the roof. It People went nuts. And it became sort of a, a, a bit of a classic, I think. And, you know, we just had a, a remake, you know, this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but that's where we all thought we were making something magical. And then it just turned out to be almost stillborn. And um, if it hadn't been for that little company believing in the film after the, the, the big parent company was ready to toss it into the, into the scrap heap, um, there would be no Bill and Ted's Second Adventure. It would, it would just not have um, a history whatsoever. So, so it, it is fragile. Even good films are these very kind of ephemeral things that 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 may disappear if 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 you blink. So um, I never take anything for granted in this business. You know, you you just got to keep pushing and pushing, even when when it looks like it's going nowhere. Yeah, and and, and especially because you 
you started in the industry when it, it, it kind of started exploding and being more creative. Um, it, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, I'm sure initially trying to have these ideas is like, I don't even know if I can pitch this because it sounds crazy, but like, I think <laughs> it come together good, but like, who do I tell and how are they going to receive it? Or are they going to like, you're, you're nuts, man. You got, you got to go, you know? So <laughs> the, the, well, the pitch is an amazing talent because, um, you know, you're always going to be up against people who are inclined to say no. Right. That's their default reaction right. that most of us encounter daily and, and um, second by second in the film industry. And so you got to find a way into what they like. So, you know, if it's a, if it's a movie about, you know, a, a rom-com about people uh, having a series of dinner dates together, but the, but the, um, the executive is a baseball fanatic, then you're going to be pitching the scene where they go to the baseball game and, you know, stuff goes nuts. You, you just got to know your way in. Yeah. And the art of that pitch and that making that connection to people is, is essential. And some people are really, really good at it. I'm, I'm getting there, but it's taken me like decades to even figure out how to, it's because it's, it's a psychological game, right? It, you you got to sort of know your opponent. Especially when you want to tell a story that maybe hasn't been seen or take place somewhere where they're like, I, mean, I don't know people find that attractive or sexy. Or yeah, exactly. There's that famous, you're so right. There's a famous thing where some studio exec years back brought this writer in, this very famous writer, and won't mention names, but um, the studio exec goes, I want, I'm so tired of the same old thing. Everybody's copying everybody. I'm hating it. I want something new, fresh. We've never seen it before. Uh, that's what you got to give me. What, what, what do you got? Just something really, really original. And the guy goes, blah, 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 blah. And it was just totally that, right? And the executive sits back and he looks at him and he goes, yeah, but what's it like? Because, you know, he can't wrap his head around <laughs> something that really is an original yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it has to be like, you know, um um you know star wars yeah, part, yeah. part two you know it, it's just that's where we're stuck yeah and some I, sometimes people break out of that but yeah, it's I, can, I can imagine you know especially now with like you know i i you know i'm with geek by nation so we we cover everything marvel dc all the time so mm -hmm. i know that if i was you know one to piss up i'm like look it's just like batman except it's not <laughs> batman but it's batman just different name guy you know yeah, and, bad guy. But then, but then trying to come with something like completely opposite, like, well, is that gonna make us a billion dollars? Like, I mean, I don't know, man. It's, it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that is the domain of the independent film, right? Because you you've got now this new universe where everybody can make a feature on their iPhone, which on the one hand is like super daunting for guys like me going, I would really like. When I started my career, there were 50 feet, uh, independent feature films made. Now there's like 20,000 in a year. And so um, my, my uh, field of competitors has, has gotten a little bigger. But at the same time, 
it's com it's competition, not just for money and and you know the big name actors and all the all the access to this and that. It's about the the competition of ideas again. If you have something that is a really great original, compelling idea, unlike when I started, you can do it. If you have the, some a little bit of initiative and perseverance, you can do it. Yeah. And it's like writing a novel. We can all do it. We all have the laptop. We can all type words. Now it's not about the access to the laptop. It's about the 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 quality of the words. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You're very very right. Uh, and I think that's that's why the, your new film. I think that's why it, it does stand out is because it. I mean, initially it felt like a, a breath of fresh air, and I was like, oh yeah, this is what I need because mm -hmm. you know is. Films can be good, but then once you you kind of know what it is, you're like, I don't. I mean, I liked it, but I don't. I don't know. I don't. You know what I mean? Like it, it gets it gets kind of disheartening at times because I I, I remember reviewing some films uh, last year, and there was three of them within like two weeks, and they were all the same movie, and oh, yeah. it became kind of hard because I I don't like to compare. A film to another films, but when they're that similar, I was like, I kind of, kind of have to a little bit just to let you know that like, okay, if all these are John Wick, then mm -hmm. only one of these can be the actual John Wick, and the other ones are gonna be something a little less lesser than you know. It's it gets difficult uh, as as a viewer. Um, yeah, no, no. <laughs> if you, if you go out and pitch that, I I have this really dour dude that speaks in a really low register of his voice and all he does is wear a long coat and kick people's asses i think we're going to get you know that's a, that's a pitch that people are going to want to listen to right. you know? <laughs> um and it and every time he punches the guy and he he flies backwards and lands in a building and the building collapses and and we're gonna have all sorts of great cg i love i love watching digital mayhem don't get me wrong yeah, I, yeah, I, i'm just who doesn't like yeah, to see a yeah. city level by whatever? Um, but you know, I want to do a film about the the guy in the in the the back room that you know Superman punched a guy and he went into my building and it collapsed all around me. Now I'm <laughs> stuck in a, a broom closet just trying to survive. Like what happened? Nobody ever worries about them. They just like go on with the the main movie. But um, yeah, some of it is just like at a certain point, we need to have a different spin on these genre films. We, we got yeah, yeah. to get a perspective going that's a little fresh here. Um, so uh, is it where you started? Was it with Dimension and the Weinstein Company or was that like a little bit after you started? I, uh, I had been working uh, uh, a number of years um, in, I did the, um, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, two for New Line and a guy named Dino De Laurentiis and uh, briefly for a company called um, Canon Films, I think. Um, and anyway, bounced around, did a film called The Prophecy with Christopher Walken, um, which is incidentally probably my favorite genre movie that I've ever done. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's crazy. It's about the angel Gabriel played by Walken mm -hmm. who decides to... Uh, 
uh, he, he gets pissed off at God because God seems to be favoring mankind over the angels. And so he gets a little jealous. And so he's looking to eliminate human beings, which is not really what God had in mind. And so there's <laughs> a whole little dust up going on. And uh, bottom line is, is uh, Gabriel, it looks like since he's been booted out of heaven, is on the verge of, of creating a new hell. And so who comes to, to save and rescue the humans is Viggo Mortensen as Satan going, hey, wait a minute. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm fine for staying out of this, except I don't want anybody creating a second hell because that's like stepping on my toes. And so there's all this kind of crazy stuff going on that, yeah. that is, is completely backwards from our, our appreciation of the Bible and, and the gospel and all that stuff. So um, anyway, we made this film and um had a lot of great great actors in it and it, it was just really well done by uh my uh, uh partner who directed it uh, greg wyden um at the time um and uh <laughs> uh that's what dimension picked that film up and that's when i started to work for dimension and uh became pretty close with bob weinstein the the other brother right <laughs> um I did work briefly with the the brother who's more in the news at the moment. Um, Baltimore of the brothers. <laughs> yes, the, the 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 more notorious brother, and uh, but he fired my sorry, but um, like the first weekend we did not click, and so um, I spent the next oh must have been 15, 20 years working at Dimension making sure not to bump into Harvey in the hallways because I was afraid he'd point out to his brother, hey, wait, what, what's that guy doing in, in my, <laughs> my building? I fired him, you know? And, and I'm like, whoa, okay, I'll just sneak into this little room here as he goes by and uh, saunter back out in the hallway when he's gone. It was almost like cat and mouse for 20 <laughs> years. But we made a lot of good films at the, you know, during that period. And a lot of them were, you know, those genre films, the 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 Hellraisers and the Pulses and the Draculas and the, oh man, even some Children of the Corn, probably way too many Children of the Corns, but um, they were sort of fun little larks to to play around with. Um, so yeah, there were some good years, but I really had to get away from that at a certain point because it is kind of like you know punching out wax fruit after a while. Um, it's not the real thing. It's like <laughs> sequel number 11, do we really need it? You right. kind of got to ask yourself. And I was sort of getting to that point of, of feeling it was all getting a bit stale. It's, it was, what's really interesting um, is that you helped make films that millions of people have tattoos of characters from those movies. Like I have a <laughs> I have a Freddy glove right here, if you can see. Oh, it. nice. Oh, I should have kept my Freddy glove. I would have sent it to you. I think you would have dug it. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, yeah, there, you know, whether, you know, you feel that there was a lot or not of some of these films, like, you know, I have a lot of uh, friends who, like me, love, love horror uh, films. And, I mean, I see Freddy. I see, I mean, I just talked to, um, uh, one of the guys from uh, Children of the Corn not too long ago. Um, I mean, these are films that like they're gonna last a long time. I mean, I'm part of some horror groups on like Facebook. Mm -hmm. it's one of them is specifically '80s horror, so it's reference stuff like that is referenced all the time. Um, 
but being now like or, or going forward once you uh left um the mention the weinstein company was it hard to have that name on your that you know that company name on your resume going to do other things with other companies uh, the dimension name or the weinstein name you mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um no because um you know, I was never, huh, how do I put this? I, I wasn't a part of the, the studio. I was a hired hand, essentially. Oh, okay. So so when they wanted to make a movie, um, particularly a, a, a genre film, horror, comedy, action, teen sort of stuff, um, they would. I had a company of my own called Neo Art and Logic, and they would call me and I would round up my troops and we'd go off and make the movie and they'd finance it. But there was always that sort of arm's length. That was yeah, never yeah, really yeah. a dimension guy. And so there was, wasn't a lot to have to explain. I mean, if you, if you eliminate all the people that worked with the Weinstein company over the years, uh, and just got, got rid of them, it would be great for all the up and comers because there'd be a whole lot of shoes to fill. You know, a lot of empty ones because pretty much everybody cycled through there at one point or another, either with Harvey or with Bob or both. Yeah. And they have their stories and, and wounds to show for it. But um, yeah, it was a rite of passage for a lot of us. Yeah. And it's a good thing that it seems like a lot of people did keep them at arms. He's like, hey, I, I got <laughs> to like stay over there. Yeah. You know what? Um, <laughs> it the, the only thing, and I'm not going to get on a, a rant about this, but. Right. Um, I do think it's unfortunate and it, it has to do with not just Bob and Harvey Weinstein happens with a lot of people is that, you know, we often get blamed for what those who are close to us do that are not necessarily our responsibility or, or even in our knowledge sphere. I mean, I, I don't hold Bob responsible for what his brother did and yet the collapse of everything that was had the Weinstein name on it. Um, his, his brother destroyed everything, right. essentially. And I think that's kind of what I guess they call in warfare collateral damage. Right, right, you know, right. when somebody gets hit by the shrapnel and they weren't even the target. And so, um, you know, Bob had his, his um, detractors. I mean, he was a difficult guy to work with, um, for sure. But um, he was not a predator. Yeah. It was not in any way he everything, whatever tantrums or emotions he he put out there, it was because he wanted his film to be better. Right. And if 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 I know somebody's doing it for a purpose, if somebody's being emotional or or you know aggressive for that end, I'll 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 deal with it. If somebody is being, you know, egocentric, inward drawn tantrum, you know, um I'm only in it for myself kind of thing, then, mm -hmm. you know, bye-bye. Yeah. I'll see you later. Um, are there, is there anything um, from the, those films that you made back then, is there anything that you uh, feel like that you may want to revisit because you want to branch off of the idea or you saw a character that could have been transformed in a better way? Oh my God, yes, on everyone, practically. Um, <laughs> Not to the degree I hear that Woody Allen, who I've never had the, um, the luck to, to work anywhere near, but um, uh, 
he allegedly will finish a film and then insist on reshooting every frame because you get to the point at, it's only after you see a scene or a movie or a cut or whatever that you realize what works and what doesn't and how much better it could have been done if you just moved the camera if you just gave the actor this line or this intention or whatever and then you just oh man and then you just go to sleep and it haunts you in your dreams and you wake up and you're just like fuming and kicking yourself because you only have yourself to blame mostly and so yes i i can't think of anything that i wouldn't want to just redo in a heartbeat yeah, that's uh, I, I, I do the same thing. I, I, I'll write a review and then I'll be like, oh, I forgot to say this one thing was well, too late now, but maybe I'll tweet it and then I don't because Twitter's hard. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh man, this has been going for a minute. <laughs> this is great. Um, I guess I'll try to round it out. Um, so I have, a, I have a fun question that I like to ask. Um, mm -hmm. If you were to be a cartoon character, what would your everyday outfit be? My everyday outfit? Oh, it would be, um, it would be, you know, the, 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 the bubble wrap that you have to, yeah, yeah. I'd be wearing bubble wrap because I just love this idea that I could go anywhere and just like walk in front of cars or, or. <laughs> just jump off a building or and just like bounce i want to be able to bounce right. if i could wear wear something that had that ability i would be just like somebody could take a swing at me like bring it on you know <laughs> um where can uh everyone find you on social media if you're on social media i am on twitter is joel swasson s-o-i-s-s-o-n i think it's at right i'm not really good with social media and <laughs> Our film uh, is at my best worst ADV. I don't know why we didn't finish out the last word, but um, I'll leave that to whoever built built the. It was my wife that built that. Actually, she did, it, but um, she'll answer to that. And then we have a Facebook page, um, uh, my best worst adventure. Uh, we're on IMDb. You can catch, you know, all the all the, the the sausage making that went into it is all listed in on IMDb and some reviews and stuff and and I think you know if you can find the film with your little uh, Google devices you know just like type in the name my best worst adventure and something will come up that will access you to get the film we're we're on uh, pay per view this month and I think we start streaming next month or the month after if I'm not mistaken nice um. This was great, man. Um, everyone, make sure you check out uh, My Best Worst Adventure. It's definitely worth your time because uh, I know we're all in need for uh, some st substantial storytelling, and you know, this is it. Um, I, I love this this interview. Just sit down. Like, it, it just felt like we can, you know, especially because it wasn't a time constraint. So we got to really yeah. just uh, talk it up. Um, that was a great time, man. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everyone check out the movie. Uh, it's out now digitally. And um, until next time, man, uh, can't wait to see what you're going to do next. All right. Well, I got another one coming up uh, with uh, Danny Trejo, if you've ever oh, heard of him. Oh, yeah. I like Danny. Kind of uh, an ageless one. <laughs> the ageless one. Yes. And, and he only gets better looking every day. <laughs>
but I'm, I'm looking for it. We're shooting that in a week and, and it's called Seven Cemeteries. Uh, so watch out for that one. Okay. I think you'll like it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, hopefully we can talk when that uh, is ready. and prepared. Hopefully we'll be back to talk about that for sure. Because yeah. I, I, I just love talking with you, Don. Um, I appreciate so, it, man. Dominique? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, man, un until next time, uh, we appreciate your time. See you later. Take care, man. All right.